if you just sat down out of pure rebellion. Um, I'm going to invite you to remain standing because this fall we have some scripture readers who are helping get us into the scriptures and we often stand to honor the reading of God's word. And so um, I'm here with my friends Joanne and Cruz and Cruz is going to read the scriptures for us. Good morning. My name is Cruz and I have the privilege of reading our scripture passage this morning. But first, will you pray with me? Prefer our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voices but your own, so that we may hear your word and also do it. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our reading today comes from Colossians 1.24 through 2.5. Listen to God's word. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant, and by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of the God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches is of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy a Christ so powerfully works into me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know, know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom you are hidden and all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This is the word of the Lord. Excellent. Thank you so much. Great job, Cruz. All right. That was awesome. All right, today we're talking about the ultimate mystery. So our passage today um, reminds me of movies when I think about mysteries. I like to watch movies a lot, and I, I really like to watch mysteries. But um, I'm one of those people that it's hard to watch with because I can always see the end coming. Like, it's really annoying. I mean, I'm not bragging about myself. I'm just saying, like, that is something I'm really good at. It's like seeing, oh, I know what's going to happen here. Um, But there is a movie that I did not see the end coming, and it was um, the movie The Sixth Sense. How many of you guys have seen that? Okay. It came out in 1999, so I feel like it's okay if I spoil it for you because you have had half a century or quarter century to see it. Um, so I'm going to spoil the ending of this movie, so if you, if you really want to go home and watch it, just stick your fingers in your ear. Um, it was probably one of the best plot twists in a movie in history. It's the one where Bruce Willis plays the psychologist, and um, he's trying to help this desperate little kid whose scary tagline is, I see dead people. So if you haven't seen the movie, you've probably seen the memes all over the internet. Well, uh, we think that this kid is hallucinating, and we really hope that he's going to get some help from the psychologist. Uh, But the end, and here's the spoiler alert, is that we realize that the kid can really see dead people, and the psychologist is actually one of those dead people he can see all along. And so that's a real shocker, and and you weren't expecting it if you were watching that movie back uh, in the last millennium. Um, (laughs) But once you know the ending of it, uh, if you go back and you watch the whole thing again, 
Um, then you can see, oh, well, that was obvious. Like it was there. They were giving me, feeding me clues the whole time, but I just didn't see it. And in an interview with the filmmaker, he said, what you're left with at the end of the movie should tell you what you saw. You're giving the audience the keys to say, this is how to interpret everything you just watched. And that is exactly what Paul is doing here in this passage. In this passage, Paul unveils this ultimate mystery. It impacts every single one of us. And while he's doing it, he lets us in on his own struggle to take this mystery public. So just like that movie... Once you know the secret, you're going to see it was hidden in plain sight all the time. Now, in this passage, Paul jumps around a lot. It's not real linear. He jumps between his message and his struggle to get the message out. So we're going to first focus on his message and then on his struggle. So let's begin to look at his message starting in verse 25. So if you have your Bibles open or your phones on, <clears throat> pull up Colossians 1.25. It reads, I have become its servant, and it here refers to the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Okay, so the first thing to notice about this mystery is it's been hidden for ages, but it's now disclosed, just like that movie. When Paul uses the term mystery, though, he's not talking about a movie. He's not talking about something that Sherlock Holmes could solve. He's talking about the biggest plot twist in human history. It was hidden, but Jesus is the interpretive key. It's now disclosed. The movie ending is out. And if we rewatch it, if we go back through scripture from Genesis on, we see signs of God's big plan everywhere. So we don't have to guess what this mystery is, first of all, because thankfully Paul says it straight up. He says the key to the mystery is Christ. It's not just to redeem a race of people. He didn't just come for the Jews. The big mystery is Christ came for everyone. And he names this multiple times in this passage. So if you look at chapter 2, verse 2, toward the end of our passage for today, he says his goal is that they'd know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Pretty straightforward. And this mystery also includes that it's for all of us. If you look at uh, verse 27, he says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. By the way, Gentiles are everyone who aren't Jews. Okay? So Christ in you, Gentiles, is what he's saying. Christ in you Gentiles too. The hope for all the promises of God, including the Holy Spirit of God, indwelling in Gentiles, was a mind-blowing plot twist. And it went against all Jewish expectations. I'm going to give you some evidence of that. Paul says that before this mystery was revealed, Gentiles were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's from Ephesians 2.12. Okay. Now, you guys are sitting there pretty quiet, like you're not totally blown away by this news. (laughs) And I think that's because you're 2,000 years after the big reveal. Like, this isn't news to you. You know that Christ is for the Gentiles as well as the Jews, right? 
Um, but let's go back to the beginning and see this the way that the first Jewish followers would have seen it. And I want to pick out some of the places where this mystery was hidden all along. Okay, we're going to stop for just a second. Would you guys, um, we have a little medical emergency in the room. Would you just, okay, okay, okay. I just want to pray. Let's just pray for just a moment, please. Heavenly Father, we love our sister uh, Gretchen, and we pray, Lord, that um, you would be with her, comfort her, and get her through this. Thank you for Kevin, who's taking such good care of her. Lord, we recognize that we're all in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Are we doing okay? Okay, okay, okay. We love you, Gretchen. Well, um, what I want to do with us, um, we'll take the focus and put it up here for a while. (laughs) I think that will help. Um, We're going to begin to see things the way our Jewish friends would see things. The first Jewish followers of Jesus were Jewish, and they would have seen things differently than you and I are probably seeing things because we're, like I said, 2,000 years past the big plot twist. So I want to go back to Abram. He's a man that was chosen by God to father a tribe of people who would later be called the Israelites or the Jews. Now, this tribe of people would eventually migrate to Egypt because of a famine, And while they were there, they would become a slave labor for the Egyptians. And then God would rescue them out of Egypt and bring them out through his servant Moses. And Moses had a word for them. It's in Deuteronomy 7, 6. He said, For you, Israel, are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people. His treasured possession. Okay, do you see the mystery there? No. (laughs) No, we're talking about the Jews here. He also reminds them, though, of a promise that God gave them. In Genesis 12, we learn that this tribe would bless the whole earth. And that's a mystery that would only make sense a lot later. Well, time passes, and this tribe of people eventually settle in their land, And they demand a king like all the rest of the people around them. Their first king is Saul, and their next king is Solomon, or excuse me, is David. And King David is then reflecting on their special relationship with God. And he says similarly, And who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself. So do we see that mystery there? No. (laughs) Not yet. But David knew it all along. He writes in Psalm 22, 27 through 28, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Okay, so if we take this tribe of people and we jump ahead, I'm just taking you through some history here. If we jump ahead past Israel's civil war, Their prophet Isaiah is telling them that God will raise up from them one person, a chosen Messiah, who will be, he calls, a light to the nations 
And he says, salvation will reach the end of the earth. Okay, there's a little bit of the mystery. We see it there. And that's just a little sampling. It's there all along, this mystery that's been hidden in plain sight, that the Savior isn't just for the Jews, but for everyone. Christ is for everyone. So now we fast forward to Jesus, incarnate, God with us. And he came and he ministered to people. And he didn't just minister to the Jews. He ministered to the Gentiles too. But the disciples who were with him right there when he did it didn't even see what was happening. When Jesus healed the daughter of a Gentile woman, their first inclination was to, and I quote, tell her to go away. Because they didn't think it was for her. And then after Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples, and he told them to go and make disciples of all the nations, Peter still needed convincing in the form of a vision of all kinds of food on a sheet multiple times to get him to go into a Gentile's house and baptize him in the name of Jesus. John got a vision too. comes at the end of our Bible in Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After all these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So do you see it here, this mystery? All nations... So this was always plan A. This ending was written in history and recorded as a signpost in scripture. But like any good mystery, no one put it together until just the right time, until Jesus, the interpretive key, was here. And this is Paul's big message, his commission. All the promises given to Israel, what our passage today in verse 27 calls the glorious riches, or in chapter 2, verse 3, describes as hidden treasure. These things include the wisdom and the knowledge of God, the forgiveness of sins, our adoption as children of God with inheritance of eternal life, the Spirit of God dwelling in us. All of this is available to everyone. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is for everyone. Okay, have I said that message enough? <laughs> Paul's repetition, it kind of reminds me of my husband's aunt in Ojai. Um, she, she is in her 90s. Oh, you're laughing. Um, she is the sweetest lady, and she has a way of telling the same stories whenever we go to visit. Um, so there's a story that she likes to tell me every time I go. She grabs my face, and she gets right in it, and she said, Oh, I remember the time it was at your wedding. And there I was in my big white dress in the wedding. And at the reception, I called her my family. And that made so much of a a big, it was just so big to her because she was a single lady. She never married. She was really close to my husband. And she thought she was going to lose family by me marrying into it. But instead, I called her my family. And then, like, we kept up with that for the next 30 years, right? And so every time I see her, she grabs my face and she says, Joanne, I remember at your wedding when you called me your family. And she cries and she tells me how important that was to her because (laughs) repeating it reminds her that that's what's real, right? Repeating it reminds her. There's something about repeating things 
I read in a teacher's blog uh, this week, this was so appropriate for today, he said, repeat again and again truths that must be understood. Repeat again and again lessons that must be learned. Repeat again and again warnings that should be heeded. Repeat again and again encouragements and the reason for why you do what you do. And that is exactly what Paul is doing in this passage. He wants his message to be so clear, he even repeats it three times in one verse. Look at the RSV version of verse 28. It is, whom, it is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Okay, in fact, let's just uh, go right to the source, to the Greek, and hammer this in. You're all going to read Greek. Um, All you really need to do is pattern recognition in this one, and I've made it pretty easy with the bolds and the underlines. (laughs) You can see the repeating of two words, panta, anthropon. Panta means all, every, or whole, and anthropon, mankind, or human. So you can see it repeated three times. We proclaim him, warning every human, teaching every human, all wisdom so that we may present every human mature in Christ. So you see what I'm highlighting here? (laughs) Because I've repeated it a few times. Paul wants this mystery of God, namely Christ in and for us, to be taught and proclaimed to Panta Anthropon, every human. Is Paul saying that everyone will take up this offer? I don't think so. And the reason that I don't think so is because he also gives some warnings. Um, One of those warnings Mike talked about last week in chapter 1, verse 23, if you want to flip there. Paul says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. So there's a warning. It seems to be saying that you could drift away and don't. Again, in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. So there does seem to be a way that we could be deceived. So we're going to hear more about those warnings and those arguments in the next few weeks. But before we leave this passage today, there's another thing I want us to notice. Not only is the ultimate mystery that Christ is for everyone, but for Paul, getting that message out was worth some serious suffering. So here he gives us reasons for him that it was worth it to suffer what we know he did, beatings and shipwrecks and multiple years in prison. The struggle to make it known is worth it to continue Jesus' work, he says. Look at verse 24 in our passage. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Okay, that's a really confusing sentence. That means something pretty simple. It was to continue Jesus' work for the sake of the church. That's how we can understand this very confusing language. There was more work Jesus wanted us to do. Now he's not talking here about the work that only Jesus could do. He's not talking about redeeming us and paying for our sins because Jesus did that once and for all on the cross and then he said, it is finished. Paul is also not 
talking here about some set amount of suffering that ought to be done by the church and that he took on our share. In fact, David Garland, commentator, says this, Paul's express goal is not to complete a quota of suffering, but to make the word of God fully known. His struggle to accomplish this goal brings suffering in its wake. It is connected to his Gentile mission. It comes as a byproduct of preaching the gospel to a hostile pagan world. So suffering and struggling to spread the gospel message to people who have all kinds of reactions about it is our labor of love as the church. And our struggle, it might just be that awkward feeling you get when you're sharing your faith with somebody on the soccer field. Or it might be some really hard stuff, like what happened last year to Christian Nigerian student Deborah Yakubu, who died by stoning last year for revealing her faith on WhatsApp in a group chat in her economics class. So suffering might be light, but it might also be life-changing. Whatever our struggle looks like, though, thankfully, we do not have to do this alone. Verse 29 promises us that we do it with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in us. So next, Paul's suffering was worth it to encourage and unite Jesus' followers. He says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Encouraged in heart and united in love in order that they may know Christ. Encouraged in heart and united in love in order that they may know Christ. So something I've noticed, and I know that this is not just me, is that when I don't feel encouraged, when I feel discouraged, I can keep looking inward and I can think more about myself than taking the time to see where Jesus is in it with me. And when I feel a fracture in my community, it can really suck a lot of my mental energy and it can make it hard to focus on what Jesus is calling me to do, who he's calling me to love on his behalf. Not to mention we blow our witness to the watching world. I think Paul knows how important it is to encourage and unite the churches, how crucial it is to keep our focus on what brings all of us different kind of people together, and how critical it is for us as a community to keep Jesus at the center of all things, right where he belongs, so that we can get to be the work, his hands and feet in the world. And finally, Paul says his suffering is so that his siblings in Christ won't get deceived. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. He doesn't want us to be deceived. So in the next few weeks, we're going to see some of this deception, the pressures people were getting, the way they were being judged for eating kosher or not, or for going to religious feasts and festivals, or even pressure to worship angels or to share their visions with each other. Um, Paul struggled so that the church would be grounded, not by these things, but by the wisdom and the knowledge found in Christ. 
not the ideas floating around, even if they sounded reasonable. He wanted to make sure that they kept Jesus in the center so they wouldn't get off track. So here's two things I want to leave you with today. First, Paul's struggles are our struggles too. We can see it in Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So church, we're not called to be comfortable. Pressing into relationships with people who see the world differently is hard. Listening well takes patience and restraint. Earning the right to speak into someone's life takes time. But this is the work that we're all commissioned to do. As N.T. Wright says, the church is the body of the crucified Messiah, and reconciliation is a costly business. And didn't Christ come to reconcile the world to himself? The work Jesus has us doing will be hard sometimes. Paul thought it would help us to know that it was hard for him. He shared his struggles to encourage the church because that's part of the message we're sharing. And that's the second thing I want to leave you with is Paul's message. Paul's message is ours too. His commission is the same one our church has and it's worth repeating. To proclaim Christ, not just to people already here filling these pews, filling these chairs, but to everyone, especially people who've been excluded. I love the way David Garland put it in the NIV commentary on this very passage. He says, God never intended the church to be a holy ghetto where our kind of people gather. His purpose has now been made crystal clear. The church is to be inclusive of all people, drawing in those with whom we may not have much in common and may not much like. We cannot draw limits on who is eligible for God's glory and who is not. Isn't that good? So church, this this week I want you to think about who is in your circle and who is outside of your circle by God's putting on your heart. People who need to know the precious work that Jesus has done on their behalf. And so I want to take a couple minutes here just in silence and let God bring those people to your heart and pray for either a person or a people group, whoever God puts on your heart. But let's just silently pray for those people that we know that God is calling us um, to share Christ with.
could look up. So we're going to have some prayer teams behind these glass doors in the back. And if, if you'd like for them to pray along with you, for whoever God has put on your heart, they're going to be there for that or for anything else that you want prayer for. And for those of us who, who know that we're part of the everyone that Christ has died for and that he's called, we're going to share a meal together. So listen to the words of Matt, or, excuse me, Mark 14, 22 through 25. Jesus, while they were eating, took a piece of bread and he gave a prayer of thanks and he broke it and gave it to his disciples. Take it, he said, this is my body. And then he took a cup. He gave thanks to God and he handed it to them and they all drank from it. And Jesus said, this is my blood which is poured out for many to forgive sins. Family, will you come and participate in this meal? And when you do, will you remember that Christ is in you and he is our hope of glory? In his name, amen.